Are you a kingdom-driven man? Do you have an ambition to accomplish more in life than what you're presently seeing? Or to keep expanding beyond where you find yourself right now? If that's you, you're going to love this episode. I'm joined by none other than Ray Edwards. Now, if you've been in online marketing, if you've been in business or having anything to do with sales copy, you're going to know this name. Ray is an established copywriter that's responsible for writing over $200 million in sales copy. He's the author of the book, Copy That Sells. He also wrote a second book called Permission to Prosper, and he has a third book to be released soon. What I love about this interview that you're about to listen to is that Ray is a man with some wisdom. This guy's got some hard-earned wisdom. He's a believer. He's so genuine. He's so sincere. And we truly had such a great conversation. It was like talking to an older man full of wisdom, uh, someone that was mentoring. There was times he was coaching. There was times he was offering guidance. And there's times he's teaching. And no matter where you are, you're going to benefit from this episode. It's full of practical advice. We get into, yes, we'll talk about the state of online marketing. We'll talk about sales copy and the latest trends and how audiences are changing and, and how that industry is changing. But we also get into some deep elements around faith. We talk about the message, permission to prosper. I don't know where you're listening from today, what your mindset is when you hear the word prosperity, if that's negative for you, if that's positive, or maybe you're neutral. But we break down some fundamental things that you have to understand from the word of God that Ray has a great handle on so you can have permission to prosper. And that's going to look different for everyone. And you'll uncover that as we go through today's interview. Ray also shares some stuff that I believe he's never shared on other platforms. He said it himself today. It really is a phenomenal dialogue of talking to someone with some hard-earned wisdom and someone that you can get mentored from, you can get coaching from, and you can benefit from by listening to this episode. Permission to Prosper with Ray Edwards. Let's get into it. This is Raising the Standard, Leadership, Mindset, and Development for the Ambitious Christian Man. Identify, unlock, and access spiritual secrets and strategies grounded in biblical truth so you can run your race and maximize your impact and influence. It's time to lead yourself, your family, and your world. Let's get after it. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Raising the Standard. This is Leadership Mindset and Development for You, the Kingdom Driven Man. Guys, this is a really exciting episode. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Most of you guys are business guys. You're entrepreneurs. You have a side hustle. You're working in corporate or there's something that you want to build and develop as your own piece of land. And as we say on this show, there's a mountain for every man. And I am joined today by none other than copywriter, superstar, someone that I look up to, Ray Edwards. Ray, it's awesome to have you on the show. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome. Thank you, Josh. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Ray, I first got introduced to your work. Um, I've been in online marketing, um, helping out other projects, doing some copy myself. And when you released Copy That Sells, um, became a big fan. I've used it personally um, in my wife's projects and in things that I've worked on for myself and for others. You've been a big inspiration with um, how you teach, how you break it down, and really making copywriting accessible um, to people who are just starting out. So thank you for that work. Well, thank you for saying all those nice things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good to know yeah, I helped. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, your copy really has inspired me. I've modeled your pages and really dissected your book. And for anyone that's into copywriting and selling and persuasion, persuasion and influence through words, um, that is a book I highly recommend. And I've used it like a textbook. So it's not just a book you read once. It's dog-eared. I go back and forth. I look at different pages as well as other stuff that you put out. Um, so Ray, where I want to go with you today, we're going to get into copywriting. We're going to get into marketing. And we got a bunch of entrepreneurs and business and ambitious guys that are listening. So we're going to take on some of those subjects. But if you could, for the audience that doesn't know you, maybe give us a brief introduction into your world of copywriting, what your focus is. And then um, I have a couple places that I want to go with you specifically for today. Sure. You know, copywriting, as you've stated already so eloquently, is using words to sell ideas, products, concepts, beliefs. We use words to sell our beliefs. I mean, I, I've had a lot of pastors contact me. They read the book and they are using the pastor framework to write their sermons, which gratifies me. It helps my ego. I feel good about what I'm doing. Um, it is, it is very gratifying. I love it. I, I first fell in love with copywriting before I knew what it was. My grandmother used to keep these newspapers. I thought they were newspapers. They were the weekly world news and the national Enquirer. And I used to love reading these full page articles, which I thought were articles. They were actually ads written by Robert, not Robert Collier, um, written by Gene Schwartz. Um, who wrote so many great direct response ads back in the 50s and 60s. And that was really my first exposure. It was years later, I discovered Jay Abraham through Tony Robbins, both of whom ended up being clients. Those dream come true for me. Um, and then Jay introduced me to Gene Schwartz and all the classic copywriting greats. And so I started writing ads for the radio stations I was working for. I was in radio for 30 plus years. Um, was a disc jockey, program director, did all the, the sales stuff. And I just, I loved writing that kind of copy for the radio folks because they'd never seen it before. And um, then Steve Jobs comes along with this iPod thing, thousand songs in your pocket, no commercials and no annoying DJs. I realized I had to find something else to do. Um, so I've discovered that something I was doing in radio for free, which is writing all that copy, people actually paid a lot of money for in the real business world. So I transitioned to writing copy and ended up being able to write for some fairly illustrious clients, which never hurts, especially when they start recommending you to their friends and students. Uh, so Tony was a client, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, um, Dan Miller, Donald Miller, not, not brothers, not father and son, different guys. Um, I have to clarify that. Even my wife gets confused. Which yeah, one is the Dan? Which one is Don? Yeah, Dan's 48. He does the 48 days or the 48 something, right? And 48 Don days is, to the work you love. There you go. And then we got Story Brand with Donald Miller. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I've been teaching copy now for quite some time because I think it's a core skill for not just for business, but for life. The, the art of persuasion, ethical persuasion, is a core skill for life. And my, my latest book, my new book, it's not even out yet, comes out next week is called Read This or Die, Persuading Yourself to a Better Life. So I think persuasion is fairly important. And that's what copywriting really is, persuasion. Yeah. And I think it fits in really well with um, 
the conversation we have here for, for Christian men, for kingdom men that want to advance into their territory, because it's all about influence, isn't it, Ray, as a Christian, to influence our sphere of influence, to influence the people that we come in contact with, whether it's the workplace or family or just, you know, different sects of society? Yes. Um, it's definitely about influence. And the amount of influence you have, I think, depends on your integrity, which means are you living out what you talk about and your intensity, the degree to which you're committed to living that out? Well, let's, let's dig into this for a minute because this is, this is great. Um, so you've, you're someone who's grown in influence and you've actually worked with people and you've seen them grown in, grow in influence. So what's your take on where a man is who's listening today, where you have a certain sphere of influence, you know, it's wherever you start. And we know that everything starts small. How does that grow? Can it grow? And I would just like to hear your commentary on the growth process as we step into our sphere. And that could apply to um, an entrepreneur specifically, like people that you're helping them grow their business. Um, but it also could apply to the average man who just has some favor on his life and his influence is expanding in the workplace, maybe through a promotion, maybe through the amount of people that he comes in contact with and has the ability to influence. What's that process look like and um, can it grow and, and how does that grow? It, it definitely can grow. I mean, we, I think we all intuitively know it can. The real question people are asking is how and how can I do it faster? And I think how can I do it faster, this may not be a popular answer, is not the right question. The right question is how can I do it better? I mean, I'm, I'm going to step up and say I'm guilty of wanting the fast track answers. I've bought many books and products about how to, how to get 100,000 Instagram followers in 30 days. I've done those things. And sometimes that can work. Um, you know, people say get rich quick never works. It's not actually true. Get rich quick does sometimes work. People do get rich quick. Now, whether that's good for them or not is another question. And how they did it is another question. But I think the answer to, for us as men, especially who are trying to, create more influences, first thing to do is ask yourself, why do I want more influence? And there are good reasons and there are not so good reasons. And I'm going to leave that for each man to figure out based on his own beliefs and who his allegiance is with, whether it's a good reason or, or not. If it's a self-serving only reason, I'm going to suggest you might want to examine it a little more closely. Um, if it's in alignment with your values, with your ultimate values, then that's a sign you're on the right track. And that means I believe that our ambition might be better served by being intentional about the influence we're growing, why we're growing it, and doing it with integrity. And integrity doesn't just mean telling the truth, it means being true to the structure which you've attached your life to. So as a, as a believing follower of Christ, your ambition, I would assume, is to imitate Christ and not in a false way, but you model your behavior on his behavior. That means you operate with compassion, with intention, and staying in alignment with what God is doing in any given situation. So I think that ultimately means growing it more slowly. I think about how Billy Graham put it when he was asked late in his life, what would you do if you could go back and do it all? You've, done, you've been a minister to so many, many celebrities, many stars, political influencers. 
what would you do differently? And I think his answer was something like, I'm paraphrasing out, but it was like, well, here's what I'd do differently. This time I'd start with 12 men. I'd live life with those 12 men. And I'd teach them to start with 12. And that's any, any of the lasting and good influence I think I've been privileged to experience has that the root of it, starting with a few and going deep. Yeah, so many, Ray, that was, that was awesome. And there's so many biblical principles in there, you know, not despising small beginnings, starting small. Um, and you talked about motivations, like what's the motives? And that's what Jesus always did. He always looked at the motives of people's hearts. And he could see that and discern that very quickly. And that's how he responded to them based on the questions that they came to him with. Um, that, was, that was really rich. Thanks for that, that breakdown there. Let's, um, let's stay on this thread because I've noticed a shift um, in your messaging, in your copy, even an overhaul of your website, where now you're speaking specifically, maybe it was after your second book, Permission to Prosper, but I've noticed a shift, if that is your second book, if I got that right. You did. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And I'm noticing now that your, your positioning and the people that you're speaking to are more um, not that they weren't purpose-driven, but now you're using the name of Jesus on your, on your homepage. You talk to spiritual people, people that have a deep mission. Um, so I'd love you to, to talk about um, if there was a shift or what shifted where you, or did you reposition or is that who it's always been? Um, but I've noticed that shift. So I'd like to hear your take on that. Well, um, sure. We'll see how much you like my take after you get it. Um, <laughs> There, there, there was a refocusing. That's what I would call it. I wouldn't really call okay. it a shift. Refocusing more on the 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 thing I'm known for, which is copywriting. Uh, but it gives me an avenue to talk about things that are important to me. And as a Christian, I mean, I've been through. I think most people who have been Christians all their lives, which is me, um, we've gone through different phases. There was I had my upbringing, which was hyper charismatic, Pentecostal, I mean, to the point, I, I was born and raised in Kentucky. You can imagine what kind of things, what kind of antics happened in some of those churches in the hills of eastern Kentucky, coal mining country. I, I, I've been to a snake handling church or two. I don't do that anymore. I, I'm very thankful that I did not get bitten. Um, but I've also been a very, um, I've been to very mainstream denominational churches, and I'd say, I, I, I hope that I've arrived at a place of more wisdom and discernment where I'm less strident and certain about exactly what the right way to interpret the Bible is and exactly what the right way to envision God is. I think ultimately that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, they're not just bigger versions of us. There's something beyond that. And I, I love to talk about that. But the focus on our website is about copywriting and persuasion. And I do it from the the ethical and spiritual framework from which I operate, but I make it clear to people they don't have to agree with me on every every single little thing. In fact, I hope they don't agree with me on everything because that sounds scary. Um, somebody once said, if you and I agree on everything, one of us is unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I, I am a follower of Christ. I want to faithfully propagate the message he came to bring us and who he is. And I'm also a, a fan of marketing and persuasion. I love that stuff. Not everybody does. You don't have to be as nutty about it as I am to use the tools and tactics we teach 
sell more of your products and services. To no, I love that answer. I mean, it's it's very authentic to who you are and and putting it out there. And I think we're even seeing that we're in the past. Um, I've observed in marketing and online marketing and just the landscape. Um, we're more, I think it's more at an authentic place now where people don't use as much of a veneer or a polish and they're sharing their personality more. And that also forms more of a connection. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree with it. I, I get a little nervous about when people start telling me, I want to start using authentic, authenticity and vulnerability in my marketing. And I'm like, well, you might want to check your motivation on that. But, um, I mean, I've always, I've always, it's always been my game, my, my game, my goal, my aim to be as honest as possible in my marketing, but true vulnerability and transparency was forced upon me when I developed Parkinson's disease, because at first I didn't tell anybody about it. I kept it a secret. And then, um, people started asking me if I'd been drinking when I was at seminars and so forth. And I had to explain no, but here's what's going on. So that that kind of thing, I think all of us face at some point or other. Something happens in life where we just we have no choice but to be authentic and vulnerable because we are we're very vulnerable at times in our lives, whether it's a diagnosis or a marital problem or challenge or maybe even a divorce or something of that nature, or it's maybe something smaller, like maybe a financial setback. But we all get in a place where we. We have a choice. Either we can be real and authentic and vulnerable with somebody, with a small group of people, at the very least, that you trust. And maybe with your customers, maybe with your audience if you have one. It's important. And I think now, after the events of the last few years, we've, we've developed much better BS meters. BS could stand for belief system. We can really tell what people believe by, by what they say or how they behave or don't behave. Really good insight. And I want to dig into that. I'm going to save that conversation for a little bit later because I do want to talk about how people have changed, how their buying habits have changed, how's, how has messaging changed? Because um, I think it's moving in a good direction because of what you're, you're sharing, because I think the game and the rules have changed. Um, but before we get there, I want to talk about your message, Permission to Prosper. I, I think your book is phenomenal. I think you do a great job outlining and just blowing up myths, false beliefs, um, specifically for Christians that have you know, limited mindsets or they have bad doctrine about um, prosperity and business and what that can look like for a follower of Christ. Um, I, I have some questions for you there, but could you give us an overview as to why you wrote the book and really what the focus of that book is and that message? I wrote the book because I felt too many Christians had taken uh, either formally or subconsciously a vow of poverty because they felt like that's what they were supposed to do. They're supposed to give away all their money and have no money. And I don't believe that's true because money is only good for the things that only money is good for. You know, like paying the rent and paying your taxes and doing all the th having groceries and living inside and having running water. It's really good for those things. So I do believe that it's possible to, to chase after money for the wrong reasons because you worship it, for instance, which is what Jesus warned us all against. But when you use it as a tool and you don't let it be your master, it can accomplish great things. It can feed the hungry. It can care for widows and orphans. And it can also get you a nice boat if you want one. I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you've been faithful in the other areas. Faithful in the small things. And I think you have permission to prosper and enjoy your life. 
So there's, you know, there's always questions that come up when we talk about this, about how much money is too much. I don't know. For you, it might be $75,000 or it might be $7.5 million. I think it's how much is too much when it's so much that it leads you into sin. When it's so much when it steals the focus off the truth and the real reason you're here, then it's too much. But what's that dollar amount? I, that's between you and the Lord. Yeah, I love that answer. I think it gets very legalistic. And it's funny because um, when we see someone, and everyone can evaluate this for themselves, but do you see someone with something nice or there's a there's a materialistic object or the size of their house or their car or whatever it might be? Um, there seems to be some imaginary line where it's um, it triggers someone. Like, okay, that's it. Now they cross the line. Yeah. Like that they, brand they bought of- bought a Lotus. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. He's got a helicopter. Or they got a nice bass boat. It's funny yeah. how the line is different with different people. It is. And I wonder what the line is in your own life because we all have to pay the rent or our mortgage and we want to be good stewards and we want to leave a legacy and provide and protect our family. And, you know, that that's a proverb to leave, uh, to leave wealth to our children's children. So, right. Um, can you define prosperity for me? Because I think a lot of the hangups that a lot of Christians have um, and I know we're talking the two sides. There's a lot of people, and I'm trusting that the men that listen to this, um, even though there could be some new levels of freedom unlocked in their thinking, um, we're not repelled by prosperity. But what what is the definition that you use in the book for defining prosperity? Because that could come with its own inherent definition for each person that hears it. Well, sure. And there's there's a term that people throw around that usually has negative connotations called the prosperity gospel, which... People take to mean, well, it means if I accept the gospel, then I'll be rich in dollars and Rolexes. Jesus loves me, therefore I've got a Rolex. No, that's not how it works. Um, uh, biblically, prosperity, we dig into it more deeply in the book, but biblically, just to give a quick answer, is it's, it's the abundant life in all areas. It's you're prospering in your, in your health, in your family, in your relationships, in your walk with God in your day-to-day -day life, in your, the peace you have inside despite external circumstances. That's the abundant life. And it can and, and does, I think, in the perfect picture of the world as God intended it to be, we're financially prosperous as well, which means we're not in want. And for some people that may be a lot and some people that may be less, as we were discussing earlier. But it's the abundant life in all the different areas, not just in dollars and cents. And I absolutely hate the idea that people, some people have it says, my righteousness is measured by my bank account. The more righteous I am, the more dollars I have. I think it's clear that's not how that works. Yeah, I, I think I've heard of those types of statements a long time ago. I think hopefully that's outdated in most circles, but there is a connotation. I think a lot of people treat prosperity unfairly. And maybe you can, you know, obviously there is abuse and there is excess and, you know, some stereotypes are rooted in some level of truth because we've seen some people take advantage of others. Um, where, where does this come from? Like what, why do some Christians have such a repulsion to prosperity? Is it abuse that they've seen um, in your research for the book? Did you find something that you can share with us as to this is where, where it comes from? Well, I don't think there's one place because I think it, this whole issue takes on many, many nuances. But um, I do believe that most of the negative feelings that we as Americans have are rooted in our history of the American church, which in, in many different tributaries of the stream that is Christianity 
did get carried away into this prosperity gospel idea that the holier you are, the more money you have. And even more directly, what prosperity gospel really refers to is those who unscrupulously had ministries where they were asking for money, and they were telling people, if you send me money, you'll get blessings. And they amassed huge fortunes for themselves, glorification of self, fulfillment of selfish desires, not representing the spirit of Christ in truth. And so that's the picture many people have. And some of those people went to jail because what they did was criminal. And that's, you know, in terms of PR, that's not what the Christian church needs right now. Yeah, so certainly abuse and excess can lend to this. But as we see it, and I think you really articulated it great in terms of what prosperity is, and I attach it to if we all have a calling in life, and it's different, right? We all are given different talents and different spheres of influence. And of course, as we discussed earlier, that can grow, that can expand as we're faithful and as we walk out the vision that God's given us. Um, But some people need more. Some people need more to accomplish what they're called to do because of the calling on their life. And so, yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, on that. If, you, if, you, if you think about Mother Teresa, and there's different opinions about Mother Teresa, but I think we can all agree she did a lot of good for a lot of people who had mm-hmm. nothing. And people, people look to that and they say, that's the example. Mother Teresa had nothing. Well, she had nothing personally, but her organization, the, the organization that grew up around her compassionate heart, had to have money to get aid and help those people. Where did that money come from? It came from prosperous business people, prosperous Christians who freely gave their money to help those who were in need. Mother Teresa was called to the streets of Calcutta. Some of us were called to give money to her so she could do the good work in the streets of Calcutta. And that story takes place over and over at different scales all over the globe every day. Amazing. That's such a great example, Ray. Um, Let's go into the sacred versus the secular, because this also has to do with where we arrived with our view of money and our view of how do we serve the Lord the best. Um, There's this view through church that, hey, the real work of the ministry is behind a pulpit or it's on a church payroll. And obviously we see it differently, but I'd love to hear your take on that because you're living your mission right now and you're empowering others. And if you could break down, I know you touch on it in your book. I've talked about it in the past on this show as well, but this whole idea of sacred versus the secular. And even though, well, let me just turn it over to you and then I might have some, some follow-up questions. Yeah. I just would say there's no such thing as a division between sacred and secular. It's all sacred. If we have the eyes to see it and if we treat it as we've been instructed to treat it, as we know in our hearts that we, we understand the truth of it, everything is sacred our work is sacred, and if it's not, if it, if it feels somehow different than that, that's maybe a check engine light on your dashboard saying, take a look at what you're doing or why you're doing it. You can do the same work, and it can be for secular, selfish, misguided reasons that will make you unhappy and miserable. Or it could be for sacred ideals that will make you feel ultimately fulfilled. It comes back to motivation, what's driving you, what spirit is behind what you're doing. And I think we... Most of us know the answer to that, whether we want to admit it or not. So what's the best way to change our mindset around this? For anyone that's coming out of this mindset of sacred versus secular or limiting beliefs around money, prosperity, that they actually have permission to prosper, that God wants to see them thrive and see them come into a place where it's okay to view resources as a tool, not something that we chase, but something that God gives into our hands as good stewards. 
what are some of the top ways that we can start to shift our mindset or change our beliefs around the way we approach finances? Well, what I would recommend is you start with asking yourself the tough questions that we've been bringing up here and asking yourself, is that when you come up with an answer, like, is it, is it wrong to be rich? If you, if you have an answer that pops up in your heart that says, yes, it's wrong, then ask, is that true? And if you think, if, you, if your answer is yes, it's true, how do you know it's true? And many of us would come up with an explanation where we would say, well, I see, I've seen lots of evidence of it. I've seen lots of selfish, greedy, rich people. Well, I've seen lots of selfish, greedy, poor people too. So beginning the questioning process and then doing your own homework. Here's an idea that may be new to you as a Christian. I suspect not. But perhaps read the Bible with discernment. And not just, it's not just a matter of reading the Bible and saying, well, what does that passage mean to me? That's not really reading the Bible as a student. As a student, you would be asking yourself, well, who wrote this? Who was it written to? What were they trying to say? What did that mean in that culture, in that time in history? And what are the principles that translate to today that work for me? So rather than me just spoon-feeding you answers, which I do in my book, so I don't want to be hypocritical. I, I do spoon-feed you answers in the book. And I encourage you to do your own homework. Don't believe a word I've said. Go look it up and discern for yourself what the truth is. And that's the beginning of a journey that will lead you to a solid, sustainable answer. That's great coaching, Ray. That was a coaching process right there. Right there. Great coaching questions. And I love, um, I love it. I, I think that we should always be responsible as teachers or anyone that has a platform or that's speaking about the word to say, go look it up for yourself. So I love the transparency there. And you certainly do provide uh, a lot of context and, um, and biblical background for everything that you're claiming. It's all within the book. So I'm going to encourage any listener that wants to go deeper into this. I highly recommend Permission to Prosper. One of the things that you cover in the book, Ray, and I have something very similar that I wrote in the standard. Um, you have a section where you say God is an entrepreneur. And, and I see it the same way. And I, I actually, we have an episode back in the archives that God is a businessman, and it's one of our most popular episodes. Um, I'd love to hear your take on that, that God's an entrepreneur. What's that look like? And where'd you find that? Or how'd you see that in scripture? And, and how do we apply that? What's that look like for us now that we see that? Well, honestly, it's been so long since I've read the book. I don't remember exactly what I said. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you what I think I said. Okay. What I would say now, and we can compare the two and figure out later whether they're yeah, in yeah. alignment or not. I think, you know, first of all, God is the creator and he created the universe and he created us according to the story that's in the book. He created us and we are creative. He told us to be fruitful and multiply. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like an entrepreneur to me. It sounds risky, it sounds messy, which seems to describe the human race. Once we were given free will and the choice, there's always, there's always a choice. There's always two trees in the garden, as they say. You choose from one or the other. And our choices lead to the consequences that we live with thereafter. Um, and that's true of entrepreneurs. We're creative. We create things. We create value seemingly out of nothing. We see an opportunity. We have an idea. We say, that could work. I'm going to go risk everything on this idea that I have. And we do it, and it either works or it doesn't. We keep getting back up when we fall down. We have one thing fail. We try the next thing. We, can, we try the next idea. We're unstoppable in that way, most of us. And that sounds like our creator. 
he, I mean, the, uh, the biggest risk was us. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who, I know he's not really rolling the dice. Einstein told us God doesn't play dice with the universe. Not that Einstein's a scriptural interpreter, but he was a pretty smart dude. Yeah. Uh, and he knew that. I think he was right about that. But God, God bet our future on us, and he knew what would happen, and he created us anyway. And we know in the end, God prevails. So when he says to us in Scripture, you, need, you want to be like your Father in heaven. You want to be one with your Father. Jesus said, I pray that they'll be one with you just as you and I are one. That's our mission. And for those of us who have that entrepreneurial spirit, to me, that is a, that's freedom. It's not even a mandate. It's freedom to be who we feel we are inside. And that may be the smallest of coffee shops. It may be a newsstand. It may be a multimedia empire. I don't know what dream has been planted in your heart, but that's, how, that's why I feel God invented creation. He invented the idea of private property. He invented the ideas of ownership, of buying and selling. And, and again, there's, there's answers. I have scriptures to back this up. I'm not going to turn this into a lesson, but in the book, all the references are there. Check them for yourself and see what you think. But I, yeah, I think he definitely is an entrepreneur. That's amazing, Ray. That that just so you know, I did um, look at that section actually as we were preparing for this conversation, and that that is pretty true to what you said that we're created in His image. It's all about the Creator aspect of God, and um, and we know the enemy can't create. <laughs> yeah, good good work there. You knew it. I'm the same way with my book. Sometimes I need to reread, and you know things are a little bit distant. So I get it. But uh, yeah, you 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 nailed it on the money. And I love that because we are created in his image. So we have this inherent ability to create. Um, and that shows up in multiple dimensions. And as I was just starting to say that, um, even when we look at the enemy, when we look at Satan, he can't create. He only duplicates or counterfeits, uh, but no creative ability there. But man has this creative ability because we're made in his image and his likeness. And I think that's very entrepreneurial. Yeah, it's the imagio deo, the image of God. Yeah. That's yeah. you and I. And I take it from a little bit of a different angle in the standard. I talk about God as a businessman where I see a theme um, with Jesus and it's in almost every single parable. It's almost in everything that he shares. And it's something that the Lord spoke personally to me um, is that he's always looking for a return on investment. I see this concept of an ROI through scripture of when he plants something, he comes back and he expects there to be fruit. He expects there to be an increase. He expects something else. So I view that there is a business side to God and there's a side where he comes and he looks to see what have you done? And it's not a harsh thing. I'm not trying to present him as a judge, but there is a side where he does judge to say, what have you done as any businessman would, as I know you have a coffee shop. I'm sure you come in and check inventory and look at the sales and say, hey, what's what's going on here and making sure that you're getting the right return on your investment. Um, feel free to add anything to that if you want to add some commentary no, to that. That's, that's well said. I agree with you. 
Excellent. Um, all right. Well, there is something you and I have in common. I love this. I am going to take you to one more portion of the book, but it's really, it's a lifestyle to me. It's not just something that you wrote. It's the way you live your life. Um, it's what we talk about on this show as well. It's something I created this, um, this email challenge around called the unfair advantage. And it all culminates in what you call co-laboring with God that we don't have to view ourselves as independent and Hey, it's like, I'm going to do my own thing, but that you're invited into this journey. So I would love for you, Ray, to inspire us and just tell the guys that are listening what that looks like to co-labor um, and practically what that looks like for you. God didn't need us, but he made us. He didn't need to do anything for us, but he did everything for us. He doesn't need us to pray because he already knows. But he invites us into that relationship. And that's the answer to, to why is because of relationship. God is relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's a relationship. It's not like a club. There's interchange of essence. And that's how I see our relationship with God. And I, I see co-laboring with God. It doesn't have to be in your business. It could be in your garden. It could be as you're mowing your lawn. It could be as you're putting your children to bed, as you're spending time with your wife, listening to her talk about her day. You're co-laboring with God. You're, you know, Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. What does that mean? It means... We first need to be able to observe what is God doing? What is God saying in this moment? And I guarantee it's usually something about peace and love and truth, things that are pure and righteous and wholesome and good, and looking for those opportunities to step into the stream of what God is doing in all parts of our lives is what I see as co-laboring with God. Is there a way that Ray Edwards does that practically? like what that looks like for you and the way you run your business, or um, maybe it's a daily routine or habit that you've developed where you make room for that. I didn't come up with this. The, my, my leader, Christ, gave us the example. He, how frequently do we read about him withdrawing from his followers, from his disciples, early in the morning to spend time with his father? What does that mean? What, what was he doing? I... I don't know exactly. I know he was probably praying and probably listening as much as he was talking. That's part of prayer. So prayer and meditation is how I start every day. And I return to that several times throughout the day, just for a few minutes. I don't want to sound like I'm some super disciplined um, monastic master because I'm not. I'm just a flawed, greedy, lustful, gluttonous, uh, mistake-making, selfish, ignorant, sometimes hard to take human being, working to be more like them. Ray, you have such a genuine love for the Lord. As you as you speak, even when you're overcome with the presence of the Lord, um, and I'll do a quick time out here, Ray, just so you know, this will be, we'll, we'll clean things up and we'll flow with it. You know, it'll be edited. We're not live. Um, but anything you want to say in the moment while the presence of the Lord is here or, or if you want to flow, if there's anything you want to release, feel free. I just want to be more like the one I follow, more like the one who made me.
Well, you know what I'm overcome with right now is I as I listen to you and um and I, I just sense your see your sincerity is that we're talking about big subjects and, and these subjects are outward. We're talking about prosperity. That's an outward, it's an inward thing first, but it shows up outward. I know that many people that listen to this, they'll they'll see it from an outward perspective only. But the true prosperity is inward. And we have to, it comes back to our motives, our sincerity. And when the Lord sees that in that in us, that's a man he can trust. And then that's when we get to expand even more and we get to grow and we're, we're made a steward because we stored it well. And I know you talk about that principle of stewardship. Um, what's that mean for you from like your definition of what stewardship looks like practically? It means in every area of my life, I, I want to, I'm not saying I do, but I want to behave. I work toward behaving, responding, feeling, and, and my first impulse to be one that would honor the name of Christ in every way, never dishonor him. And I'm imperfect at it. I feel at it all the time. I fail at it all the time. But I'm working so that it's more often the other case where I'm doing something where he would, if he were standing right next to me, which of course he always is, that he would say, well done. Ray, you have a lot of, um, a lot of wisdom a lot of experiences and encounters that you've been in through life. Um, as I look to you as an older mentor right now and as a teacher, a father, someone who's instructing us, who's been through a lot, what would be one of your key, I'm not gonna limit you to one if you wanna share a few, but what are, what are some of your key um, lessons or something that you would pass down to the younger generation or to the young men that are listening to you right now when it, it can, it can be a, attached to this topic or anything else that you want to, but I just look at you as someone who's it's got some harder and wisdom you've been around. Um, what are the things that this generation needs to hear that maybe they're not hearing right now that you would, you'd like to impart to them? Glad to save the easy questions till last. <laughs> Don't be too quick to accept whatever church or institution you're part of has all the right answers. Go and ask questions so you can figure out for yourself if that's true. Search the scriptures and see if these things are true. We're instructed to do. And don't be too quick to throw out the principles and the practices that your church or institution that you're part of don't be too quick to throw them out because there are some things that have existed for thousands of years that shouldn't have. And there are some things that have existed for thousands of years because they were right. So I find that extremism on either end of that spectrum, it can be destructive to your spiritual life. And that's destructive to your entire life. So beyond that, I'd say seek the counsel of wise men and women, but especially as, you're, as we're talking to a lot of men in this audience, to men and older men. I wish I had, if I, if I went back in time and could tell my younger self, well, here's something that you should, should consider doing. It, one of those things would be spending more time with older men listening carefully to what they say. You might start with your dad. And if he's no longer with you, I'm sure you remember some of the things he said that used to irritate the stuffings out of you. Maybe, maybe meditate on that and ask yourself, why did that bother me? Was he right? 
here's a question to ask yourself and write, in your, write your answers in a journal maybe. What were the wisest things my father taught me and how did he teach me? I just, I totally endorse what you're saying. You know, Ray, from a young age, I've always been attracted to um, being around older guys that I could learn from. I've always had either it was my father or the Lord brought a spiritual big brother into my life or a pastor. And I remember at a certain age, I chased them down and I said, I need what you have. I'm taking you out to lunch. And I, I entered into formal mentorships that way. So that's such wisdom. And I wouldn't change anything about the way I've done that. And I still have some of those relationships today. Um, so I think there's so much wisdom in that of finding someone who's has some life experiences or they've been where you want to be. And it's not always, I think sometimes with entrepreneurs and ambitious Christian guys, we can, we can say, okay, find someone who's been where you want to be. And it's the guy who's got a great business and we kind of limit it to that dimension. Um, when I did that for the first time, officially, I went after someone that I saw their spiritual life. I saw their prayer life. And I said, I, I need to be like you. So I would just admonish the guys that are listening. Don't make it always external. Look at what true prosperity is, as we're talking about today, of a life that really matters. And sometimes it's the secret things. It's the hidden things that that man of God's doing or someone that you can look at, that you can emulate. And that takes different eyes to see that because other people may not see that. But if you have eyes to see it, those are some of the people that I would, I would encourage you to seek after. That is so beautifully said. And it makes me think, you know, I've got several people who have been mentors to me who are well known. I could drop their names, but I'm not going to. I'm going to talk about the first spiritual mentor, first spiritual partner I engaged with was used to be my pastor. He's since retired from that ministry. He's a local pastor. His name is Rob Fisher. He lives here in the Pacific Northwest. And most people probably don't know his name, but he is a great man of God. And I've learned so much from him. And to this day, he has heavy influence on my life. And Ray, I'll add one more thing to that, because in my relationship with an older spiritual father that I have, where I pursued that person, I can tell you there's a lot of richness on the other side of the relationship when you pull on another man's gifting. And that's a spiritual principle that you actually can unlock an older generation because you're there to pull on it. And we see that even with Jesus. Um, you know, people came and pulled on him literally, and they were pulling gifting out of him. And the, and the principle there is that, you know, he couldn't minister where he wasn't received. He could only minister where there was a hunger. And when you put a hunger or a demand um, in the spiritual realm on another man of God, on someone that you're pursuing, I find that it unlocks. I've seen it in my life when, when men come to me and I have the chance to coach, mentor, or father. Um, I expand much more when there's a hunger there that's pulling on something. Yes, that's so true. I, I love that. I can, I can see that at work in my own life. Like what we're doing right now, you are pulling on me and I'm saying things I haven't thought about. I didn't. I wasn't, I didn't reread the book. I didn't prepare. Sorry. I thought we were, I just thought we were talking about something different. That's not your fault. That's, that was my overlooking. Oh, it's all good. This is a great conversation. But this, I think this is exactly the conversation it was intended to be. Mm. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And you know, I, I'll, I want to hear your take on this because we're, we're going to go into some online marketing stuff and, you know, in the past, right, just being totally vulnerable. I've shared this with my audience before. Um, but I'm a perfectionist. 
which is rooted in fear of like making everything sound right or look perfect or over editing it. Um, and so having a conversation like this is also great for me because I'm not over preparing either to say we have to produce this perfect product that's perfectly scripted um, and perfectly well manicured and edited to look like some perception for external. Um, as a wise as a, as a wise man, what's your take? And I don't know if you've ever struggled with that. I'm sure you've seen it with the people that you've coached and worked with and wrote copy for. Um, but what's your take on that perfectionism and that always trying to get it so perfect where it ends up being failure to launch or it just becomes very limiting? Or it becomes something even worse, which is you being fake. Um, and I, I, I look back at some of the earliest things I produced on video and through audio. And I kind of cringe. Not that I was intentionally being fake, but I, I can see it was a very well manicured and polished view of things. And it reminds me of a tour I took of Disney World. Um, back in the day, I was in radio and we did live broadcasts from Disney World. At the time, I just thought it's because they were nice people. They had these DJs come down from Tennessee and do a morning show from their studio for five days. I finally figured out, oh, it's because we're advertising their park. That's why they're doing it. It's not because they're nice guys. They were nice guys, but there was there was a there was an agenda that worked there. But anyway, we're taking a tour of this Hollywood lot where it's set up to look like a filming location, and the person leading the tour said, "Notice that you can from this angle you can see all the props behind the buildings and the fact that it's not real, but the camera only sees what we want it to see." And that stuck with me because it's so true today, isn't it? The Instagram camera only sees what we want it to see, or more importantly, what we want to show. And so I think that's why you see more and more people now showing the rough edges of their lives and their businesses, not because they, they want to, I don't think, I don't think most people who do that want more attention or they want to show their flaws off. I think they want to let people know, look, I'm for real. I have problems and struggles just like you. I mean, the best, the best online teachers and marketers are showing the, the hard parts too, because we all know that's real. And I learned from that just like anybody else does. I learned it when I do it myself. I learned it when other people that I respect and admire show me this is something I have trouble with. This is how we dealt with it. It did or didn't work. It's important. And it lets people know you're authentic and real. And I think the, the days when we could paint this false picture of perfection are long behind us because everybody knows better, first of all. And secondly, I'm telling you guys, nothing is secret on the internet. Um, th this segues perfectly into where are we right now with, you know, we've already started to go there with the images people put out with how marketing's changed. Um, I'd love to get your take because the landscape is changing. Um, and it seems like we, we started this conversation earlier in the show talking about that the customers are more the pe people, people are more savvy. They can recognize, um, someone that's not operating from the right mindset or belief system. Um, I think we've also, because I think when I first started, like signed up to my first email autoresponder where I could see like, oh, I'm getting marketing to like, this was probably like 2012, 2014, I bought my first online fitness program and I saw the beauty of the autoresponder. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Look at this, the way this business is functioning. And now, you know, the, the growth of online marketing and messaging and coaching, um, and the platforms, they're teaching you what levers to pull and how to say the right things. And the script seems to be the same. I know it's changing, but because of that, everyone can easily recognize, 
oh, this is a marketing game or this is what they're, they're saying, what everyone says, you know, whether, hey, it's not your fault or whatever the, the tagline is that we're going to use. Um, how is that changing? That Because that's, what's your take on the customer becoming more savvy and picking up on um, subtle cues that they're being marketed to? Well, they are. They are more savvy. They do pick up on these cues. A lot of the times you're saying things in your copy you think are powerfully influential and the people reading them are going, oh, more of that BS. That's the thousandth time I've heard anybody tell me, it's not your fault. I mean, when it becomes a joke and a meme, you know it's, it's done. Don't use it anymore in your copy. Um, he said, frantically thinking, have I used that lately? Yeah. Um, it's kind of sad, <laughs> you know, um, I, um, I think that, you know, the, the days of templates and I have templates in my courses, which we're updating because of AI, it's, it re- literally is changing everything. It really is. Um, and I think it's, it has some powerful opportunities for us to do, use it to do good and, and also the opposite. But as far as transparency and originality go, uh, I encourage transparency, not to the point it becomes pornographic. And I don't mean that in the, in the most visceral sense of the word. I mean, when it's just showing stuff just because you want to show it, you think, oh, this will be cool. I'll show people my divorce and how we argued and we'll put the, the court proceedings on, on YouTube. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being transparent in the things that help the people you're serving. Think about that carefully before you go any further with transparency. Think about being transparent with things that will help people. I, even in my training where I have templates that I offer people, I always tell them, look, templates are a starting point. It's like training wheels on a bike. What you really want to do is be authentic and come from your own experiences and tell your own stories. And no breakthrough copy ever came from a template. No breakthrough marketing campaign came from a template. It may have started with an iteration of somebody else's idea, but it had to become your own and had to contain some point of, attractive innovation for people to be interested in it, especially those who've seen it all before. You can go online now and watch any commercial from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You can look at all of marketing copy from all, all of history, it seems. So none of it's hidden anymore. So where does originality come from? I think it comes from all the information you take in and all the stuff that's welling up inside of you that you want to say, maybe you're afraid to say in your marketing. So that's why on first pass of writing any marketing campaign or any, any marketing material or any content for your blog or podcast, I say the first thing is just let it all come out. Whatever's in your heart to say, say it. Then go back and review it before you release it and make sure, not to edit it to perfection, just make sure that the message is in alignment with your true mission and your true self and, you, and the, the one you truly follow. That's so good. So the the customers are changing. People are changing. How is the game changing? Because I've even noticed I'm on your email list and your podcast is great. I highly recommend your program. So everyone will drop all raised links below so you can, you can follow him as well. Um, I watched, I clicked on something you sent out recently and there was a, a little VSL attached to it. And you even said, you're like, hey guys, this isn't even a normal video sales letter. I just want to talk to you. And you know, it was like you were breaking all the rules yourself. So how are the rules changing? Um, what are the rules if there still are rules? And what do you see around the corner coming for online marketers? Well, I think the rules are always changing. And just remember, who made the rules? I don't know. I mean, just something we heard somebody say one time, we feel certain it's right. That's, that's more of a belief than it is a rule. So I'd question, question the rules and test for results. That would be my advice. 
So if you, if you have a crazy idea, I've tried, I've, and we, we talk about this openly, we've tried many things differently, especially since the pandemic, and some of them didn't work. They were flops. Nobody hits a home run every time they swing the bat. Anybody who tells you that to do is leaving parts out. I'll be as kind as I possibly can. They're leaving parts out. So don't be afraid to experiment. I, I picked this up from the Google team. Somebody there once said, everything we do is an experiment. And that means if everything I do in my business is an experiment, there is no failure. There's just a result I can learn from. Wow, you're still you're still learning. So you you have to be humble in this game because um, it would be easy for us to think that you don't make too many mistakes, or you're much better at picking the winners. Uh, I think some of us just much better at sharing the winners. Okay. Um, I try not to be that that person. I mean, I don't want to always fail either, but um, I fail enough that I can stay on the on the plus side of the ledger most of the time. All right. So you mentioned AI. You, you've been talking about it quite a bit. I've been listening to what you've been saying. Um, share, your, share your thoughts on it, on how it's changing or how you're using it. And we can even link to some of the ways that you can help people that, that want to learn more about what you do. But um, we'd love to just turn it over to you to hear your thoughts on artificial intelligence and how, it's being, how it should be used. Well, I, um, I appreciate you asking that. I've I like to call it augmented intelligence more than artificial because I don't know that anybody's convinced me yet that it's intelligent. In fact, some of the leading authorities, not just Christian authorities, but authorities on the science that's behind this whole thing, say quite clearly, this is not self-aware. This is not truly intelligent. It's imitating intelligent behavior. It's imitating us. So... There may come a point where it is in self, it is self-aware, it is intelligent. Then we have some real questions to start answering. So I'm glad we're thinking about them now. Like I heard somebody asking the other day, "What happens if an AI gets saved? Do we baptize them?" And it's kind of funny, but then you start thinking about it. Well, what if what if this thing came to you and said, "No, I'm I'm a being. I have a consciousness. I have free will. I have I have sinned. I don't I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So don't don't mistake what I'm saying. Sure. I don't have the answer sure. to that. Yeah, it's an interesting question. But to back up a step or two, um, I think it's a great tool we can use. For me, right now, the, the best utility of artificial intelligence or AI writers, we have one of our own. We've trained chat GPT to, to write copy like I do. And with the same standards and qualifications that I have on my copy, but we still double check every fact, every sentence. We check it for plagiarism because it still lifts words from other people quite liberally. They tell you that in the in the sales copy on the on the site, so you got to be careful with it. But I think it's great for writing quick first drafts, especially if you have an outline of what you want the, the final draft to look like. You can get a quick first draft, so it speeds up the processes. It's not just about copy; it's about buying ads, measuring results, analyzing those results. It's good at those kinds of things. I think right now we just have to be very careful to always double check its work because we never know if it's right or not. Don't put more trust in it than you put in your team. Some people, it's like these days they put more trust in the AI than they do in God. That's clearly a mistake. It's just another idol then. But it's a good tool for speeding up your writing process and making it easier to get to a clear picture of what you want to say. And I think the best copy you write is not necessarily copy that's overhyped. It's copy that's very clear. That's what really sells effectively. And uh, wow, that's amazing. So it also, you know, I'm learning that you're... You've been in the game for a long time, but you're still learning, you're pivoting, and you've created a new product based around one of the latest trends right now. So you see this as more than a trend. It is here to stay. I believe it is here to stay. I think what's going to happen is 
all the different apps are going to get rolled up into, they're going to become features instead of standalone applications. Like there's even writing applications that are inside Microsoft Word now, they're inside Google. So it just becomes a feature. But um, I mean, ours we feel like has a unique flavor of copying content writing that it does. But yeah, I think it's not a fad, it's a tool and it'll get integrated into our technology so deeply we won't even see it. Like I just saw earlier today, Apple announced that the iPhone will someday in the near, very near future will be able to speak using your voice an AI version of your voice, imitating your voice, which is both kind of cool and awfully frightening. Pretty crazy stuff. Really crazy. Um, and as far as always learning, I mean, I, I hope I'm always learning because the day I decide I know everything is probably the day I sign my ticket and say, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I see you. I mean, you're, you're staying very relevant. You're, you're on the trends. You're, you're, you're very consistent with your marketing and your emails. Um, and I love it because you're be, you're continuing to be a pioneer and a leader. And I think sometimes people get a certain level of success and this can happen in our personal life. It can happen in our spiritual life where we feel like we hit a peak and then it kind of goes downhill from there. And I think like the perfect example would be, you know, an older gentleman that hits retirement age and then they kind of give up or they slide into a whole new lifestyle where um, they feel like their best days are behind them. Oh, I, I pray, I believe, and I pray that my best day is ahead of me. I believe that to be true. I think in, in my, in the Ray version of theology, which means this is what I believe myself, I don't require you to believe it, but uh, I think if, if my best day, my most important day wasn't still ahead of me, I wouldn't still be here. That's amazing. I think we all have to have that vision for our life that we live with hope. We live in, in something anchored in another realm that things are, there's an establishment and there's an expected end for us. So I can't think of a better way to put a period on the end of this discussion for today, Ray. Um, I'll turn it over to you in a minute with any last final thoughts or anything you want to charge the guys listening, and then we'll drop all your links on how to connect with you. Um, so let me just give you the last word. If there's anything left that you want to, you want to share with the men for today, and then we'll, we'll close out. It feels like this should have a lot of gravity. I would just say, um, be careful what you believe because that's what you'll end up receiving. And that means examine it closely. Because every belief has consequences. Simple, profound, and extremely deep. So I think we need to all chew on that one. Ray, this has been a phenomenal dialogue with you. Love to have you back at some point. You have a lot of wisdom to share with, with everyone here. I know it added a lot of value. And guys, until the next episode, let's raise the standard. Hey guys, I got a quick announcement to make. If you feel that you're in the gap between where you are right now and where you're supposed to be in life, that place that God has promised you, that promised land that he has for you, then I want to invite you into the Unfair Advantage Challenge. It's an 11-day email training content that I've never shared on this platform before. And I'm doing this because I want to equip you and teach you how to access the unfair advantage that God gives all men who are walking with him. But here's the thing. Many men never access it. Many men never reach their promised land and many men never reach their full potential. That's why I'm doing this. So go to accessyouradvantage.com, sign up for the training, and you will get equipped with the strategy, the mindset, and the tools so you can unlock and access the unfair advantage that God has for you. Let's get after it.